0: Anytime we're lighting things, I'm very happy. So go go ahead and light this. (laughs) All right. Oh! Oh, now we're living. Yeah. Welcome to The Aggressive Life. Today we're going to... Do something different. I always say that, don't I, Dirt? Uh, this I, is actually different, though. It what do you mean? You mean I say that before and it's not different? Or we've, I don't know if we've gone off-site before. And you've definitely never uh, forged a sword during all right, podcast That's podcast right. We've gone off-site before. We've never dealt with fire and forging metallic objects before, and me insulting somebody in their manhood before. <laughs> <laughs> so today we're going to show you something or help you hear something from when we recently just got out of the studio and we hit the road. Hit the road to do what? To forge a freaking sword, that's right. God bless America. Oh my gosh, part of my job, I get to forge a sword. Man, a few weeks back as part of my day job, I got to travel to Cedar Lore Forge near Muncie, Indiana, to meet my new friend, David DeLaGuardel. And we were shooting a really short video to use during a weekend service at my job, Crossroads Church in Cincinnati and in Lexington and Dayton and Columbus. But we had too much good stuff to squeeze into one little two-minute video, so you get to hear the full thing right here on The Aggressive Life, a lot of fun stuff we talked about and did. David is a master bladesmith who makes high-end and functional weapons for individual collectors, museums, and big budget films like Thor. Yes. David literally made the swords you see in Marvel movies like that big yellow gold one that uh what's the guy what's the guy's name Iris the, the, Idris Elba. Yeah, him, him. Heimdell. That that, uh, that awesome guy who who uh, my heart was so crushed when he was English. I found he was I, he is English. I, I, I like the English. I like the English, yeah. but for like years and years and years you played it off like you were an American, <laughs> like you're proud to be an American, like American accent. All nope. of a sudden you're sporting nope. a, English. an English yep. accent because that's what you are. That <laughs> Kind of pissed me off, actually. I, I like him a lot. But anyway, that guy in Thor, he's using his very sword, David's sword, that he forged himself. These aren't little playthings. These things are the real deal. And I don't just want to talk to David about the ancient art of metalsmithing. I wanted to do it myself. So come along with me for a quick conversation with David and then join us as we heat up some forge and get to work. It's going to be a lot of fun. Let's get to Cedar Lord Forge, part of Coal Ironworks, right now on The Aggressive Life. We'll introduce you,
1: who are you, what do you do? <laughs> My name is David Gardel. I'm the owner of Cedar Lore Forge, and I'm super blessed to also work here in this building at Cole Ironworks. And I was just describing to you, Brian, Cole uh, is, is really a tool company, but we wanna be more than that. We build uh, hydraulic forging presses. They're basically glorified log splitters, uh, but they're, they're a little bit, little bit prettier than that. They, they squish hot metal for traditional blacksmiths, for bladesmiths, metal workers of all types. And we sell our machines around the world and my connection to, to Coal Iron Works is that it was founded uh, by my dear late friend, Andy Davis. And uh, when we were, gosh, we met, we met when we were like six years old, and uh, our dads, you know, kicked us in the rear and said, get off your Xbox and go do something outside. And, it's a great idea, let's go make a sword. And they're like, okay, maybe tone it down a bit, maybe not a sword, but, but we did. And, uh, and, you know, from the age of six to 15, Andy and I, we made swords, we learned together, and, you know, he, was an incredible bladesmith, and you know, we really pushed each other in that journey as, uh, you know, as brothers and, and kindred spirits. Um, but Andy wisely took a really awesome route in that I introduced him to a friend of mine, uh, my buddy Nathan Brandt, and they founded Coal Iron Works, uh. the, the tool company. I continued in my passion and love, which is making mythic, epic, artistic, fully functional swords and knives. Um, You said Andy um,
0: is late Andy, what happened to him?
1: So my dear friend Andy, he passed away unfortunately last year due to brain cancer. And so being here at Cole is really meaningful to me to continue on his legacy. We're a tool company, but what I like to explain to people more is that we really are, are, our purpose isn't just making tools and machines, it's to educate and inspire and equip uh, anybody and everybody to get into the craft, which is the craft being, you know, metalworking. It doesn't have to be swords or blades like I make, but we really want to empower, especially young people, to take that leap into this craft, which is a pretty intimidating, scary craft. It's fire and sparks and uh,
0: a lot of stuff. That's exactly um, why I'm here. Yeah. I want intimidating, (laughs) I want fire, I want sparks. Oh, I'm gonna get it, you just get ready. I cannot wait. So walk me through some of your creations here. This is pretty amazing.
1: Yeah, so my craft is, uh, and my business is Cedar Lore Forge, like I think I mentioned. And uh, yeah, I just have a passion for bringing Really merging together my love of you know history, uh, you know biblical history, historical uh, you know facts about you know warriors and soldiers and what does it mean to be a man and defend home and country and fight against evil, um, with you know. Fun, you know, more I guess pop culture, but I'm a huge Tolkien fan. You know, C.S. Lewis a and token. Tolkien and all that stuff. Had a huge have you ever actually touched a
0: real woman? If you're, you know, because. <laughs> yes, because yes, oftentimes yes. people yeah, yeah, are in the yeah. mythic and all that stuff. It's that's true. That's sometimes a challenge. That's not it's a challenge true. to you because you actually have a child, right? I do have
1: a son, amazing son. Yeah, my, <laughs> right. my, my my girlfriend Chloe's incredible. And uh, going to yeah. stab
0: me now that I said that. No, yeah. you know? we'll, we'll see, we'll see, we'll see. We'll see.
1: No, it's uh, and you know, my son, uh, Boaz, he loves coming out here and learning. The craft, I think, you know, what better way to, you know, welcome, uh, you know, a, a young boy, a young young man into
0: masculinity. Talk about a fantasy. If my dad had this kind of stuff and I could mess around with this stuff, you would be like a god to me. I would love that.
1: <laughs> I'm definitely not that. No, uh, But, geez. you know, and, and truthfully, I try to, you know, point people in my work to the creator. Not in a heavy-handed, you know, obnoxious churchy Churchianity cheesy way, but love people and be like, hey, like I don't care what you believe, I don't care yeah. who you are. Yeah. Um, and I think uh, I really do love and appreciate the works of Professor Tolkien and Lewis specifically because those were they were they were scholars and they had touched women. They, they, yeah, yeah, they had, they had. Yes, <laughs> I think Tolkien had like five or six children. You know, amazing. I guys. thought you were gonna
0: say five or six wives. Yeah, yeah, going, yeah wait, no, that's, no, no, that's, no, that, be, no, no.
1: But uh, you know, I appreciate. The legacy that Tolkien and Lewis created in their, their writings, you know, obviously Lewis more as an explicit outspoken believer, but Tolkien too, um, because they had respect and love for you know, the ancient pagan myths. They, they didn't reject it as, oh, that's dirty, filthy stuff. We don't want to touch. They said, no, we see Christ. We see how God, whether people like it or believe it or not, has his hand in, in everything, every person's right. life, all throughout human history, and a lot of those ancient barbaric warrior myths. I think we're longing for the true hero that is Christ. And uh, so their work, I mean, had a huge impact on my faith. You know, I I grew up in the church uh, for better or for worse, a lot of worse than that. And uh, I feel like I didn't really fully understand the gospel until I read just the horrors those guys lived through in the war and came back stronger from it. I mean, a lot of guys who go through war like that say, you know, forget you, God, and throw up the bird and, you know, say, sayonara of my faith that I once held. Um, those guys walked away from literal hell on earth, uh, believing in Christ more and loving the people around them more, I believe, when I read their, their writings and stuff. And so I'm not a poet or a, a writer, but I, I try to tell a story and honor, uh, you know, guys like Tolkien and Lewis in yeah. my work. And so, so tell
0: me about one of these guys. Yeah, so, so there's
1: amazing folks around the world who bless me with opportunities of crafting things like this. Um, this is a you know, somewhat historically inspired, but mostly Tolkienian inspired uh, fantasy sword. Fully functional, no less. Um, The blade was actually forged by a good buddy of mine named Rick Fur in uh, Door County, Wisconsin. Um, He he blessed me with the blade to finish uh, and carve and craft the grip and the scabbard all from from scratch and, you know, leaning into my unashamed uh, love of Tolkien and and all that nerdiness and fun. uh, The carvings I wove into the piece are actual illustrations that Professor Tolkien himself drew. So I tried to faithfully faithfully kind of transform his drawings into wood and steel. And when I'm doing a, you know, a non-fantasy, non-Tolkienian uh, blade, if it's historical, I'll obviously look at historical artifacts. I've been blessed with uh, awesome opportunities to go to England and go to the Royal
0: Armories and hold and
1: study original yeah. artifacts, and that's a surreal experience. So I, this is
0: cool. You, took two, you, you milled out two halves of wood yeah. and then glued them together?
1: It's Yeah, actually it was the same board, ripped it down the middle, carved it out. I mean, there's probably a, almost a month's worth of work in just a scabbard alone, I let alone the whole piece.
0: How do you get the, uh, the pattern on these blades, like the yeah. watermarking look or whatever it is? How, how do you do that? Yeah,
1: I wish we had the time to do that today. We won't quite go that deep into yeah. the craft. but So that is, people debate what, what, what the proper terminology should be, but it's either pattern welding or Damascus steel. I prefer pattern welding. As a term, but it's essentially the (laughs) the simplest way I can describe it is uh, like when you take two different colors of clay or play doh, smash them together, fold them, and you see those colors swirling. It's like that with steel. So historically, and this weaves a lot into you know a lot of biblical imagery. um, Ancient smiths were going to an iron-rich place, dragging a magnet, finding iron ore in like dirt dust form. They would smelt that you know iron ore down into a. an ingot looks like a, like a just a rough boulder of, of gnarly material, and they would have to just out of the necessity of the material fold it to refine refine that material so for them, they were achieving patterns in their blade, not because they were even trying and it looks pretty anesthetic just because they had to it was just the nature of getting a homogeneous bar so that 's what
0: this is you 're not going and etching or doing something yeah. to get the, this is the normal bend it over, bang, bend yeah. it over, and this is what naturally comes. Because it, yeah. it looks like it's just a, like an artist just said, oh, this yeah. is how I would actually paint this on or etch this. That's, that's interesting. Yeah,
1: every line you see was at one point in the beginning of the process a separate piece of steel. Wow. And so by fusing them together um, at extremely high heat, pressure, uh, you know, if <laughs> running with the biblical imagery of, If we are iron, like, you know, the the verse, uh, iron sharpens iron, uh, iron has to go through a, uh, and steel has to go through quite a traumatic process to be refined and strengthened. And there's so much I could share on that topic um, that I I would love to to talk about.
0: Well, isn't isn't that part of the magic of the samurai sword? Something Mm -hmm. about how many times they bend it over and pound it or Mm -hmm. something? Is that... Is that what, what you yeah. do? You just keep yep. ba- banging it and it gets stronger and stronger? Or how does that science that's, that's work? That's
1: a good question. So, you know, again, historically they were, they were refining and folding the steel to get out impurities, to make the blade more homogenous and even, you know, uh, in terms of its strength and durability. Um, but it's funny, I want to get a huge shout out to an incredible buddy of mine who's a, a, an amazing bladesmith and a, and a follower of Christ, uh, Pierce Richardson. Icarus Forge, everybody should go follow his incredible work. He's out in Colorado. He was just here at my shop. And he was blowing my mind um, with biblical imagery and how that can weave into sword making. You know, because like I said, there's that verse of uh, iron sharpens iron. I think a lot of pastors, scholars, authors assume, oh, that that the iron sharpens iron means men make each other stronger. That's not actually true. It's not, I I don't think it's true in the biblical sense, it's not true in the metallurgical sense, and because sharpening a blade doesn't make it stronger, it makes it more effective and again, shout out to Pierce, because these are his amazing ideas. Um, You know, men can sharpen each other. You can shout all you up, but we're going
0: to be editing all these names out. Oh yeah, get rid of them, get rid of them. (laughs) Keep doing your shout out, but don't be upset they're not a good dude. That's all right. (laughs) Um, But you'll be able uh, to tell you'll be able to tell them, yeah, hey, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I gave you the, I, but they edited out of the video, unless, yeah, you know, give, unless do, for the Aggressive Life podcast. You sure. might leave it in for that, but anyway, keep sure, going. Sure, just do credit.
1: Um, but yeah, a lot of people, when they read that passage, say, oh, I guess, you know, I got to strengthen other men, or other men needed to strengthen me. You can help refine another man, but I think what uh, really strengthens a man is you know the pain and suffering that life brings, and that we all go through both as men and women but um, you know I unashamedly unapologetically in my craft have a heart for young men and i' of course, I teach everybody men, women, old young, um, but long term my dream for this craft is to specifically empower fathers and sons mm. you know i've already Taken part in different ministries, organizations where we we are... And there's another thing me and uh, some good friends of mine are working on is we want to do, you know, initiation of young men into masculinity, which our culture is just totally lacking. But uh, back to the, you know, metallurgical, biblical uh, 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 metaphors. Yeah, men can refine each other. They can make each other more effective, sharpening. Um, But what makes a blade strong and tough and hard and, and resilient is the forging process and specifically the heat treating process, the hardening process. So when I say heat treating, and this is what we're going to do today, um, heat treating uh, encapsulates three main things. Uh, the first step is normalizing it, and this is coming after you have forged, which forging, <laughs> forging steel in and of itself is a traumatic experience for steel. Um, steel, in a weird sense, has almost a literal memory to it. Every hammer blow that you and I do on that steel, um, while it not, might not have a massive effect, if we were just to haphazardly wail away on steel and then quench it in oil, every hammer blow that we make would just corkscrew the blade, it would go wonk- just absolutely wonky and be crooked. So, that after you've forged... And forged is forged hammering is hammering, hammering the, yeah. the red
0: hot steel? Yes. Okay, yeah, yeah,
1: right. yeah. Um, after you've forged it, which is a traumatic event for the steel, you have to first normalize it so that is heating it up to critical temperature about 1500 degrees kind of glowing orange color and let it air cool Uh, at least two or three times in my opinion but you know once maybe you can get by with but uh you know i wonder if you know running with the analogies if normalizing is uh is is almost like a, a father welcoming his son into masculinity but that alone isn't enough um what comes next is the real crucial moment where things can Quite literally break the blade, and everything go wrong that 's the hardening process where you heat up the blade again to that same temperature, but now you 're quenching it in oil really really quickly and really violently. Um, mm. Japanese swords are quenched in water, um, most western swords uh, you know European Scandinavian Norse are, are quenched in oil, and it 's just the nature of the, the blade shapes and the metallurgy. but so much can go wrong in the quench, and if you don 't normalize, like I said, everything 's going to go wrong now once you 've hardened a blade and you know in an analogy of the human life, that could be some, a loved one dying, a divorce, a breakup, uh, you know, an illness that you're now diagnosed with. I don't know. Um, if you stay in that hardened, bitter, scared place, you're not going to be an effective person. After I quench a blade and it is extremely hard, it's not quite, quite uh, like glass-level brittle, but if I was to take a hardened blade and just throw it against the ground, it would shatter, hmm. uh, at least into a couple pieces. And so after the hardening process, you have to temper. And uh, I think this is what a lot of people... Christian and non-Christian alike really lack in their life as they go through a traumatic experience hmm. and uh, they don't seek the, the tempering process. Because, you know, it, a little bit cheesy and cliche, but I think it's a true statement, the, the statement of you either get bitter or better. <laughs> it's kind of true after the hardening process, you, you uh, tempering, to, hmm. to be more clear, um, is heating it up not to that same level of, of heat. So tempering after you've quenched is really only to like four or 500 degrees in a blade. And that, it does remove a little bit of the hardness, but it allows for a bit of springiness, a little bit of flexibility. So then you, the blade's still hard, but you can take it into battle and it can clash with armor or another blade and it won't break and it won't shift. What's
0: it like to be really into and doing these amazing things where, well, this this one, I could use this in my kitchen. Yeah, it's it's a chef knife. But, you know, your swords, are really never gonna be used. Yeah. Is that a bummer to you or like no. I'm glad they're yeah. not used? I hope nobody uses them uh, <laughs>
1: against another human. Yeah. You know, I wa- my swords are fully functional and real. They're razor sharp. And I think that's why people are attracted to them. It's, it's a symbol. Um, whether it's bringing to life you know, a, a mythic, epic story like you know Tolkien's Legendarium uh, or King Arthur, Beowulf, you know, those old epic sagas yeah, that I right. love so much. Regardless of, of the motive or the reason why somebody wants a fully functional sword, I love it because I think it really awakens. Again, even though I, I have a heart for young men, I, it, men or women, it's so cool to see somebody pick up a sword because it changes their demeanor. They, they straighten up. There's, right. there's the, 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 the atmosphere in the room changes, especially if somebody who's crazy and unpredictable as you is holding the blade, you know? you like just am holding a blade? Holding oh, a yeah, blade? Yeah. <laughs> I'm holding a blade. Exactly. I can't control it. <laughs> so it's, it's cool to see how people you know, some people get scared when they hold a blade. They, they, they might not have the self-confidence to know, yeah, like, can right. I wield this safely? Um, and, you know, I like to view the sword as a uh, barometer of the human heart, you know? Swords don't kill people, people kill people. I think the sword, uh, symbolically and historically. Are you part of the
0: NSA, the National Swordsmen Association? Because I, I, sh- I, I, I understand their, their I lobbying, <laughs> their lobbying arm is really coming at yeah, Congress. Yeah. And I, sh- I should start it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but you know, I, I think you can join the NSA and get a free tote bag for a sword Wait, it, and, and a magazine. The yeah. NSA
1: is the you know spying on Americans too as well. We oh, might be okay. Well, with them. I guess so. It wouldn't Dang work it. out. Yeah, right, right. Copyright right. issues. <laughs> well, I'll start that, but you know, and I'll, I'll explain the fact that I think this, I think swords bring out what's already in the human heart. And, you know, as a believer, I believe we've all got evil in our hearts and good. And, you know, it's up to us. uh, uh, And by the grace of God, you know, where we take our lives, we take ownership of our actions. I'm not a victim to anybody else's choices or things that happen to me. Um, And a sword is, I think, a symbol of responsibility.
0: And, uh, yeah. A few months ago, I was down in Texas uh, I was doing a men's event down there. We, we had rented, uh, actually, the guy just let us use his land, mm-hmm. middle of Texas, and hogs are a massive problem in Texas. Mm-hmm. Like if you can go hog hunting, you must go hog hunting just because hogs need to be killed. Yeah. Like in Texas, and Florida, they have uh, a, female, a female hog has three litters a year. By the time she's on her third litter, yeah. the first litter, is having babies. I learned this from a, a hog biologist. Mm-hmm. And so they're just running rampant, destroying the whole landscape and everything. And the biologist said to decrease the population by seven mm-hmm. or by one, you have to kill seven hogs. Mm-hmm. And so they get this one guy who's his land, he, I guess his son gets hyper, hyper creative. They go out and they get their dogs and they sick the dogs on the things. And then someone picks up the, the back legs and then they'll stab it to death. Mm-hmm. And his son was making a sword because he wanted to do like a sword hack yeah. thing. And I just looked at this rudimentary thing. He was just grinding a piece of metal inside of a garage. Yeah. What would you imagine the difference is between what he's doing to just get a stock piece of metal mm-hmm. sharp enough to stab a pig versus what you're doing in the process? What's the? i, I got to think that yours is. Sure. What? What is it? Yeah. Well, I'm, I mean, I love. I'm not gonna make fun of or look down on anybody who's just
1: hogging away on a on a little grinder from you know Home Depot making any kind of sword shaped object. That's cool. There's there's something admirable and awesome in that, um, and functional. It's a, you know he's making a tool in that case. I've yeah. actually got buddies um, who you know out in Colorado and Arizona. You know they're same thing. Hogs running wild. It can be a danger to kids and animals around. Yeah. And uh, guys who own our uh, Coal Iron Works presses here at the shop, they'll forge spears, like literally hog hunting spears on their machines and with their grinders to that forge. Um, That's awesome. But yeah, I mean, the difference is,
0: you know... Uh, we need to do a hog hunting episode. <laughs> the, th- the thousand ways to kill a hog. We need to do go. that sometime. There you go. Just trigger all of the... Oh, vehicles. yeah, it's <laughs> great. It's wonderful. People are loving this podcast. Yes.
1: Right. But, uh, you know, the difference in, in my case is um, by no means, you know, better or worse. I think the difference is I'm trying to make... You know, it's an art piece, it's an yeah. artifact, but it's also, it's a functional tool that I hope nobody uses for its you know, intended purpose. Um, it's a symbol. I want to take uh, massive amounts of respect and admiration for historical bladesmiths and, and living bladesmiths that I'm working on the shoulders of, guys I've learned from uh, and, and in the craft, even if they're frenemies and colleagues in competition. Right. You know, I, I have to give credit where credit. due. But the due. bar
0: stock I buy at Home Depot, I could sharpen that down on my wheel mm-hmm. and make it sharp. But your metal, yeah. is it that bar stock that's just bent over and banged and bent it over and bent it, or is it? So the,
1: a lot of people don't realize that, you know, there's different types of steel. It's, right. it's, and it's even beyond just like, oh, there's different types of wood. Um, there's... Endless, countless variables that you can pour into steel and it's metallurgy. You know, is there vanadium? Is there chromium? Is there... What's the carbon content?
0: Like what about valerian steel? Yeah, yeah,
1: valerian. I'd like to get my hands on some of that. Um, you know, I didn't mention Andy and I... And uh, to
0: all of you Game of Thrones <laughs> geeks. Oh, Val- yeah, yeah.
1: Valerian is Game of Thrones. Yes. I'm, um, I'm, 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 and
0: the other one after that. It was Game of Thrones and... Is uh, it the Marvel
1: uh, uh, Black Panther steel? The What is it? Um, uh, I don't know what that one's called. What is it? I should know because I worked on a Marvel movie. I forgot to share that. Oh, really? Andy and I... Um, our first big gig was making. I'll grab it. Yeah, what? Uh, in the first, the first Thor movie. Yes. The gatekeeper, big burly guy in the golden armor. We. No made, kidding. We this is story. it. Yeah, yeah. So Come this, on. This is the the original hilt mold parts that I carved. Wow. That we got cast in bronze. So I was 21. Andy was 20, and I, I dropped out of college. To 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 do this wow. full time, and um, so that was obviously a life changing experience. The guy's the
0: iris, so the actor's name. This is they the mold. Jeez. Yeah yeah yeah.
1: So talk with Kenneth Branagh, the director, and all those guys, and that was a a fun experience. But um, and you're coming along here with a knife and carving all these things. Yeah yeah. So all the detail work you're seeing in carvings and uh wow. and the blades is 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 uh, my carving work. But, wow. um, What were we talking about with the steel?
0: Yeah yeah. Valyrian steel. Yeah. Yes. The,
1: the, so there's different types of steel. And, um, you know, anybody can, can buy a good quality bar of steel. Like one of my favorites is 1075. The, that number correlates to how much carbon content it is, is in it. Um, people don't realize the difference between iron and steel is carbon content. So the more carbon, uh, the more brittle and hard it can be. And you don't want too much. Otherwise, it'll shatter the right amount. And heat treating it properly is what makes an effective and sharp blade. Hmm. Um, and so, yeah, anybody can take a random piece of uh, mild steel is soft steel and they can sharpen it. It's not going to hold an edge. It's not going to, you know, be resilient uh, long term. But if you want to make a true sword that stands the test of time, there's so many variables. And this
0: is how you make your living. This is how you pay the bills. When did you pass over from I'm playing with metal. It's a nice little hobby. I'm learning things as a kid. When did you cross over from that to, uh, no, I think this just has to be my life. I've
1: actually kind of never done anything else other than working at a laundromat for a couple of years hmm. when I was in high school. <laughs> and at that time I was just, you know, sneaking sword scabbards behind the counter at the laundromat and carving them and creeping the uh, the poor, you know, people who were coming in to do their laundry. Yeah, right. Um, I've always been a sword, sword maker, you know, because like I mentioned, Andy and I started when we were 11, 12. And, you know, massive uh, thank you to our fathers for kicking us in the rear. And uh, you know, inspiring us, they, they would take us to different trade shows, conferences where you know old geezers are hanging out, you know, right. drinking coffee, you know, complaining about their lives, but also around amazing tools. But it you
0: remember, like when you had a strategic, this, this, when you made a strategic decision, when you said, yeah. this is how I'm going to earn my living." Do you remember when that? Oh, was? I think
1: for me personally, as as an artist, I, I you know my my goal, my plan was to go to art school, and uh, and I did for a season uh, before I dropped out thanks to this sword. Um, and, and I still do art and illustration. I do you know, book illustrations uh, for friends and colleagues and uh, magazine stuff and published material. But um, so I'm an illustrator, I'm an artist. I, I like painting and drawing, But but my main passion is the tactile visceral nature of you know forging steel and sharpening it and all that jazz and it blends together so the time wise when I really decided that um that project was a huge catalyst for me to Mm. realize you know I'm not going to get a nine to five graphic design job or just try to do book illustrations I want to want to do swords instead and um I mean when Andy and I were were in college our freshman year we were trying to sail two ships at the same time one of college and having good grades and the other starting a business and it was blowing up and we couldn't keep up with the orders. So, um, and that's mm. when, you know, God dropped us the overwhelming opportunity of working on a big movie, which wasn't as glamorous as it is. I think a lot of people idolize a job like mine. I think honestly, if I'm being really honest at the time, it was an, an idol, an unrealistic, unhealthy idol of mine. of like, man, if I can just work on a movie, I'll be set, I'll be satisfied. All my dreams have come true. And God's like, oh really? Here you go. And there was a lot, a lot of setbacks, a lot of negatives to that. And, and it was really humbling to realize, you know what? I need to find my joy and satisfaction in my relationship with Christ and who the heck I am mm-hmm. uh, and my friends and family around me. And this is a great craft, but it doesn't define me. It's, it, it, no. If God decides to take my eyes or my hands tomorrow, to Him be the glory. So,
0: so all those swords in a movie like that. Mm-hmm they're not all crafted by no. someone like you. They're just, most I of mean, them...
1: I mean, mad respect for a lot of... I've got a lot of great friends uh, in the film industry. You know, friends that... Uh, uh, shout out to my friends at Weta Workshop who made all the swords for Lord of the Rings and Narnia and Last Samurai and all that jazz. My um, um, buddy, buddy Tony Swatton in California, he, he did Pirates of the Caribbean and all sorts of other stuff. Actually, he made the other swords in yeah. Thor. Um, and a lot of those guys are capable of doing, you know, the work I do. Of course, the budget course. couldn't support yeah, it. Yeah, but... Uh, yeah, when it comes to a film production, you know, a lot of the blades are aluminum, and that's fine, that's right. fun. it's gotta be. Um, I just finished uh, working on an indie film, and uh, the design was this wild, impractical, but really cool double-sided axe, and, uh, you know, which is crazy in and of itself, but then the axe heads were, like, this big, and I'm like, I'm not gonna make it out of steel. Uh, the, the person wielding it was this young, amazing actress, and I'm like, I'm gonna be kind to her and make it out of aluminum instead of steel so she can actually swing it. Um, so, yeah, there's a lot of... Not shortcuts, but simplifications in production. And, so,
0: how many guys are there like you in the country? Like, if there is someone yeah. says, hey, I wanna, I wanna buy a sword like <laughs> this, which, how much would this be? About something like uh, this.
1: I'm gonna respectfully not share sure. my prices. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. I mean, okay. it's uh, in the high,
1: high digits
0: of uh, <laughs> high, digi- uh, high, f- high five digits, high uh, four a, digits. A very nice car,
1: a very nice car. Let's okay. just say that. All okay. right, so um,
0: in that price range yeah. then, How many guys like you are in the market to do that and satisfy that article? There's a
1: good handful, so I should be clear. Handful? uh, Bladesmithing, in terms of knife making, is kind of in a renaissance, it's exploding. Mm. And and, and that's really great, I love it. Uh, Thanks to shows like Forged in Fire and History Channel that I'm sure a lot of people listening or watching this will know. Um, You know, friends of mine have gone on that. We have provided tools to that show. Um, There's a big resurgence, so there's, gosh, hundreds of thousands of, of guys making blades, forging blades. In America alone, hundreds of thousands. In, in, in America, for sure. Really? Um, I, I could be off in my calculations, but I, I think so. It's, I mean, Blade Show in Atlanta, Georgia, one of the biggest knife shows in the world, is unbelievable. I mean, I think they have ten thousand people a year just crammed into the auditorium there at Blade Show. We go every year, and it's a blast, oh. big party. But um, you know, my specific quirky style of blending history and a bit of mythology and folklore and Tolkienian, Arthurian, Beowulf legend stuff. Maybe a handful of guys, and they're all guys I love and respect dearly and have learned a lot from mm-hmm. and also compete against in a friendly manner. So yeah, right, right. It's
0: fun. All right, so we're talking about the armor of God. There's all kind of defensive things that are in the armor of God in the book of Ephesians. There's the helmet of salvation, the breastplate of righteousness, the belt of truth, all these things that, that, that kind of protect in battle. The only thing that is offensive in all of these items is the sword, which... I connect with because I'm very offensive. I I'm, I'm am an, I'm an, I'm an equal opportunity offender. I, I decrease the size of our listeners and the, deci- the size of Crossroads all the time by my offensiveness. But, but this is the only sword or the only thing that is offensive. It's the sword of spirit. It's prayer that can be offensive. Yeah. You know this. Uh, you know that. I know you're a big sword guide. You probably geeked out on this entirely. We gave you this project. Mm-hmm. You're a believer. Yeah. So I'm curious with all this what sword am I gonna have to be able to kill something if I wanted to? What, 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 what are we thinking here today? <laughs> Absolutely, so I love blending
1: history and a bit of modern sensibilities and you know, my own original designs together. And so I've kind of got a hybrid sword for yeah, us. Yeah, yeah, okay. Um, most people are familiar with the more uh, uh, typical Crusader era sword that's kind of a T-shape or a cross shape, and that's all well and fine, but I have a much deeper love for ancient swords of, of biblical era, honestly and a lot of those were, were bronze. We'll be forging steel today, mm. and so this is not a one-to-one exact historical duplicate of anything, but it has uh, healthy nods to a lot of ancient swords like from that. the Biblical era. Uh, it's also nice because it's a little bit easier and quicker to achieve in a day,
0: right. um, as long as we aggressively forge it. And I like put it. to it. So that's what we're going to be and doing. This, so this is, the, this is true to scale, like my hand yeah. here, all right? Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah, this is the scale we're aiming at, so got a lot of work ahead of us to forge it out. Grind it to shape, uh, heat treat it like I was
0: explaining, and uh, you'll have a fully functional razor sharp sword. Love it. So before we go forge, I just got to ask. Like when I look at that mm-hmm. versus some of these other swords you have up here, like this guy. Yeah. Is it? Oh, and this one's sharp. I can tell. I got to be very. Actually one side is, the other side isn't. But what, um, so is this what my metal will look like or not?
1: Not necessarily, so I think what would be be fun on yours, um, like I alluded to, is to leave some of the forged texture, which I think really tells a story. I like that, Of course, you know, a lot of historical swords were perfectly clean and shiny as this blade is. Straight, flat, and symmetrical, uh, you know your blade's going to be straight and symmetrical, yeah. and all that jazz, but uh, in the center core, I wanted to almost tell a story of every hammer blow I, I so love you can that. See that
0: well, I love that just because first of all it 's pro- the way it would have been it 's more historical. Mm-hmm. I also just like it as a, as a personal ethic of mine. things I design or do or build. I like having the the rawness, the character we 're all in process with God,, yeah. and I like things that look like it 's in process like when we bought our first Building where we built out our first building at Crossroads, which is my day job, we had um, at that point people who were doing churches and larger churches. Everything was nice finishes, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. nice drywall everywhere, tile, nice carpet that you'd see in a in a hotel, you know, nice ceilings. And when we came in, it wasn't for it wasn't for masculine purposes. It wasn't even for budget purposes. But we said, no, let's let's leave the rock concrete from the lumber warehouse and let's actually leave the bolts that were bolting them down and let's just grind them off and let's yeah. actually have the the outline of the green paint from the racks there yeah. because we want people to feel like hey this place doesn't need to be real pretty and maybe i don't need to be real pretty yeah. either amen so that's, that's that's a that's an ethic mm-hmm. that uh, mm-hmm. that i love that you're thinking about in the sword
1: cool so yeah that's my vision for it and uh We'll get forging.
0: Awesome. Right. Okay, let's go before I, uh, before I break something or <laughs> cut myself. <laughs> let's do it. Awesome. Today's podcast is brought to you by Athletic Greens. It's a product I use every day. I started taking AG1 because I don't watch my diet too closely, but I know that I'm getting all the vitamins, minerals, and nutrients I can, as well as hydrating with 12 ounces of water right off the bat at the beginning of the day. One scoop of AG1, it's got 75 high-quality vitamins, minerals, whole food source, superfoods, probiotics, and adaptogens. And it doesn't taste like it. It actually tastes great. AG1 is a microhabit with big benefits. For less than $3 a day, you can take care of your health and invest in your future. It's recommended by professional athletes, health experts, and me. <laughs> To make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packets with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com aggressivelife aggressive life. Again, that's athleticgreens.com aggressivelife aggressive life to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutrition insurance. So go get you some and let's get back to the show. All right,
1: you ready to fire up the propane forge? Yeah, so
0: this is where we're going to heat up the steel before we bang it. So this is our basically oven, our (laughs) coal-fired thing that you would see in the movies. It's this because this is more efficient.
1: Uh, Yeah, historically, you know, what people are used to seeing in movies like Lord of the Rings and all that jazz, it's going to be a coal bed of of, uh, coals to forge in. Um, And that's great. I forge that way too. We don't have any setup in this shop. We do a lot of high impact, really fast paced forging in here. And so a propane forge is clean. It's a great way to do the the pattern welded layered steel. And uh, it's a lot of fun to use, so. anytime we're lighting
0: things, I'm very happy. So go go ahead and light this. (laughs) All right. Oh,
1: Oh,
0: now we're living. Yeah. There we go. All right,
1: so we're going to forge. Love it. We're going to forge. And I should probably summarize what the heck forging is. Forging is the heating up of really any type of metal, but in this case, specifically steel. And it's the heating up of said steel to manipulate it, to move it, to, to bend it to our will and, and make it into the sword that, uh, that we're envisioning. So this is a piece of uh, 1075 high carbon steel. I love this steel. It's forgiving, but it's, it's uh, still a good quality. And uh, so I've got the, the, the tip shape roughed out on the grinder, but um, we need to refine it, bring it to a point. And uh, that takes some precision. It's not about wailing away as hard as you can. It's really more about the precision of your hammer blows. Okay. So I'm gonna let you
0: put it in the fire. All righty. Cool. Let's do it. Oh, That's
1: all right. Yeah, we'll, we'll kind of get it centered yeah, right about there. So, actually I might do this. Let's do that. Yeah. All right. Perfect. So I'm gonna do some hammer strikes, and then I'm gonna let you go on the next feet, I'm gonna walk you through proper form and stance. You really wanna let the weight of the hammer do the work and lift it up, and you're you're basically just letting it fall. And this is not a massive chunk of steel. To move this metal is not gonna take crazy insane Hulk Hulk smashes, you know? So uh, again, our goal is to kind of refine that shape and get that uh, point. So you're good good to go. It's not too hot to to grab there, so get a good grip. Woo! That's hot. Yes, it is. <laughs> oh, dang. <laughs> I think I've just burned all the nerve cells out of my out of my right, right hand, so. Looks good. It's getting a little bit cold, so now we're right. getting into the region where you'd want to put it back in. Okay. And, uh,
0: Give it a little straighten.
1: Yeah, a little bit. All right. Now we're ready for the crucial step of heat treating the blade, which is, it's three, three crucial steps. Step one is normalizing, and again, normalizing is we're going to heat it up to critical temperature. We want the blade nice and evenly on orange heat, and then we're going to let it cool down, then we're ready to heat it up again to that same temperature, a nice even orange heat. We're heading towards trauma, we're heading towards the quench, which is going to yes. harden the blade. So hardening, quenching it in this oil, okay. and then after, Uh, Whether it's with you or on my own time, I'm gonna very carefully temper the blade, which will make it have a little less hardness, but it'll have the flexibility, be battle battle worthy, (laughs) is what you can call it. So, um, this time I'm gonna heat it up. I'm gonna do the back and forth. Good. And this is really crucial. From the time I hand it to you, to the time you quench it, we don't wanna lollygag. I'm gonna pull it out. You're gonna take it immediately. Bring I'm gonna it take down it here. Bring it down. And bring it over come this way. And and um, you know, it, quench it all the way to. Don't don't <laughs> shove it down and right. poke a hole in the bottom of the tank. But do quickly bring it down all the way um, until you feel. And I the just tip. hold it there.
0: And I just hold it in there like
1: that. Yeah. And then uh, you only hold it for like five seconds, and then I'm gonna I'm gonna take it from you. I'm I'm gonna check it because okay. uh, once okay. you've quenched it, I'm gonna take it out. Okay. We'll also do a cool. If you take it out soon enough, then the whole blade catches on fire, and okay. that's just fun. Cool. Uh, not necessary, but it's fun. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and uh, that's going to be the gameplay. Now, You're be right. warned, when you quench it, very likely flames will lick up. Okay. It, you know. Yeah. If, you, if that's all the way down, it's not going not to burn you too bad. All you might right. lose a little bit of hair, but, you know, yeah. join the club. It's fine. No, 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 fine. So, are we you ready? ready? Ready. Quench Ready, sword. Santa. Count down from five. Five. Four, three, two, one, there you go. Nicely done, okay. So, back.
0: bad right there.
1: <laughs> it's very Conan-esque. Oh
0: you? man, yeah. let's go kill something.
1: Yeah. Okay, that is a hardened, hardened sword blade. And it does look pretty, pretty straight. So I don't know if I'll need to do much. Now I'm going to Gently leave this here for one sec. Get these guys on, so I don't burn myself too bad. And check how straight that is. So this kind of gray color you're seeing on the blade—that yeah. is a good telltale sign that we have achieved, achieved what's called martensite. And uh, martensite is this specific type of um, grain structure in the steel that means you you have hardened it. You've upped the hardness quality. So. Okay, I've got a very brief window of time here where I can quickly check it. It's really not bad, so we did a... You did a fantastic job heating it up and normalizing it. Good job, sir. All right, so we successfully forged the blade. We ground it to shape. You did a beautiful job refining that grip, so it's gonna feel good in battle, hopefully not against your interns and and staff here. Uh, Be kind of them. They might have a sword too, okay? And then, we heat treated it, which is the most crucial point because a lot of stuff can go wrong. I mean, there are, uh, there are, I'm sure a lot of people who have watched shows like Forged in Fire that friends and colleagues might have gone on, you know, if they rush it, if they get panicked, if your head's not in the game and you quench a blade wrong, the entire blade can snap, no. you know, things can go wrong. And so, um, it takes time. It takes uh, a lot of confidence in doing it, but we did a great job. Um, thank you for helping me. Thank you for bringing this to life. So, and my next steps is I'm going to temper the blade like we talked about. I'm gonna put some form of a nice, comfortable, battle-ready grip on it, and then a a leather sheath that could go on the belt of righteousness, right?
0: Right. This is fantastic. Man, thanks so much for teaching me something that I knew nothing about, (laughs) and I'm nowhere near ready to do it myself on this, but this was a huge learning experience for me, and uh, I think this is gonna really help everybody better understand what might have been going on in the Apostle Paul's mind when he talked about taking the sword of the Spirit. So you've taken us to a new level. Thank you very much. Thanks. Hey, thanks for listening. For all things aggressive living, why don't you head over to bryantome.com, find my new book, Move, a guide to get up and go forward, as well as articles and much, much more. And no matter where you listen to podcasts, why don't you take a second and leave us a rating, leave us a review. It really, really helps us drive new listeners to the show. We want to help as many people as possible, just like we may have helped you. We want to help others. So why don't you help us out? And if you want to connect, find me on Instagram, at Brian Tome. Aggressive Life with Brian Tome is a production of Crossroads Church, Cincinnati, Ohio.